Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. Over the last decade, beer drinkers have reaped the benefits of an explosion of craft brews that line bottle shop shelves and pub taps all over the country. With the craft beer movement comes a sense of small-scale artisanship that translates into higher quality beer. However, there is one aspect of craft brewing that can take the shine off the artisan nature of these products and is also creating stigma and division within the industry. Contract Brewing is using a third-party brewery to make your beer for you. You provide the recipe and the beer is brewed in a facility often far away from you and your label's home. Today on the show, we're looking at how contract brewing can benefit small brewers looking to scale up, issues with transparency, and how contract brewing has been stigmatised within the craft beer industry. Two academics who have been researching this topic are Pavlina Yasovska, lecturer in international business and strategy at the UTS Business School, and Sam McCauley, senior lecturer in strategy and innovation at the University of Queensland. Sam, Pavlina, welcome to Think Business Futures. Thanks, Stefan, for having us. Thanks, Stefan. I'm looking forward to talking. Pavlina, we're talking about contract brewing today. Now, this is a subject that I didn't know much about before researching this topic and speaking to you, but for our audience that doesn't really know what contract brewing is, tell us about it. So contract brewing in the most basic sense, it's uh, really for a brewer to use a third-party producer to brew their beer instead of having their own physical um, manufacturing presence. If, if we go to the specific types of contract brewing, there are, there are many of them, but there are two things that we need to consider. Nature of the contract brewing site, so who is brewing your beer? And that could be, for example, neighborhood brewery, uh, which has happens to have spare capacity. It could be uh, also sort of contract brewing site that specializes in contract brewing. They, they don't have their own brands. They only do contract brewing. Or it can be also a large multinational company doing contract brewing for small brewers. The other aspect is the involvement or the type of relationships these two, the guest and the host, uh, have. So it could be that the, that the brewery uh, just hands over the recipe and the contract brewing site makes the beer for them. But it can be also the other end of the ex- extreme where the, the brewer comes to the brewery and spends some time in the brewery and uses the brewing equipment in the contract brewing site. So these are kind of just the basic types. Okay, Sam, why do people contract brew? Yeah, good question. Um, and I think it often comes as a bit of a surprise to people that it, it's even a practice that happens. So your ad- average consumer um, probably looks down at their uh, can of beer and assumes that the person on the label is the one that made it. Uh, however, it's reasonably rare. So one of the reasons that people all do this, and it makes a lot of sense for uh, entrepreneurs in this industry to do this, is that if you think about making beer, it's a really large capital investment, right? If you want to get the equipment, um, we're talking you know millions of dollars. So you can go from being making quite a successful batch of beer as a small-time craft producer distributor comes along or you get incredibly successful um, through, say, a pub distribution channel and you need to scale up. 
Um, now that's a massive financial risk because you're essentially saying I'm going to take a multi-million dollar punt um, on building a brewery to, f to fulfill demand that may not be there long term. So one of the things you can do to uh, manage your risk when you're scaling up is to go out there to one of these third parties, as Pavlina says, who's already got the equipment and uh, leverage their equipment to reduce your capital risk. Um, as Pavlina says, you can either pay them to do everything for you from the, the brew itself, the bottling, the packaging, uh, through to just hiring out their equipment, essentially. And uh, that'll then enable you to avoid that, you know, capital risk of sinking millions of dollars uh, into a new facility when you're uncertain about your, your long-term prospects. So it's a way of managing risk. Now, that's sort of one aspect of scaling up. And I think where you started there was breweries that already have beer on the shelves. They already have a label and, you know, they've exceeded their capacity and they're looking to scale up from there. Pavlina, what about breweries that don't have any of this? What about someone who just has an idea, might have a background in marketing and an interest in beer, no brewery to speak of, but wants to get a brand started. Tell us about this aspect of contract brewing. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it's uh, contract brewing doesn't happen only for brewers who have the brewery and they, for example, there are kind of like seasonal changes and, and there is a huge demand for their beer. So they decide to contract brew some of their brands. The second type is the one that you, uh, you Stefan, mentioned that um, the, the brewer doesn't have anything. They want to just start up um, and really contract brewing can provide them that opportunity to not sunk their, their finances into capital. However, we, it, it comes with lots of uh, disadvantages and we can talk about it uh, later. But the uh, one thing that I would like to emphasize now is that Oftentimes, brewers, when, when they are coming um, as new players in the industry, don't, they don't underestimate that contract brewing doesn't come cheap as well. Mm -hmm. So it, despite the fact that there is this advantage of, of avoiding that huge capital cost, you still have to pay the sort of COPEC fee to the contract brewery, and that doesn't come cheap as well. Mm, okay. And... Let's before we start talking about things like stigma, because I think that that's the the very interesting point that we'll get to in a sec. Let's talk about perception. And Sam, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this isn't really something I understood or, or knew that was going on. And I, you know, I like drinking a beer as much as the next person, but I'm not too interested. You know, I don't know the ins and outs of the industry, but it did come as a surprise to me to know that there are beer labels out there that I've been consuming over the years and things like that that don't actually have a bricks and mortar space. What do you think the current public perception of contract brewing is? What do, what do you think that the, the general public understands about it? Oh, look, to be honest, Stefan, I think the general public really don't understand anything about it, uh, which is you know quite interesting considering how important and prominent it is. Uh, so yeah, I think that the public would be, the first reaction would be a little bit of surprise that, yeah, this beer isn't coming from a bricks and mortar brewery. And then, you know, the fact that there's a remarkable number of beers that all come out of the same large breweries, um, but with just different labels. But, you know, it's quite interesting. This is not special and specific to the brewing industry, right? So this happens also in the automobile industry. So there's third-party manufacturer of cars. Um, it also happens in the computer industry. I remember going around uh, a factory in... Uh, 
uh, just outside of Suzhou in China many years ago and seeing production lines of computers with all sorts of different brand names from HP, BenQ, Dell, all running along uh, the same production line in the same factory. So it's a little bit like a little bit similar in the, in the, the, the craft brewing industry is not really doing anything uh, that's that special and different in terms of the broader patterns of economic organization out there. I think what's interesting about this and why it can be a bit more of a sensitive topic is the ethos of this industry very much and the way it likes to frame itself as being hands-on artisans. And that image can be really threatened if all of a sudden you realize that, hang on, this beer I'm drinking is produced by a third party under you know, conditions of mass production. So that's where some breweries over the years have got them, sometimes got themselves into a little bit of trouble. However, there is some signs that perceptions are changing. Uh, so, for example, there was recently uh, quite a prominent uh, event and announcement um, by uh, Garage Project, a famous craft brewery from New Zealand. Um, they were setting up, uh, joining a partnership for a uh, startup contract brewer in uh, Australia, and they announced online, hey, look, guys, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And they're very public and transparent about that, which was, yeah, quite an interesting shift, whereas previously there's been a fair bit of cloaks and daggers around this sort of behaviour to the extent that, you know, when we've talked to people in the industry, there's everything from denial, oh, no, 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 this doesn't really happen, through to wink, wink, nod, nod, yes, it does, um, uh, through to it's not a problem versus it is a problem. So there's a lot of diversity um, of views, and I think it's an interesting time in the industry right now because we're seeing different approaches um, to managing these reputational risks potentially. Mm, okay. Yeah, well, you've just uh, mentioned the next point I was going to touch on, which is the industry perception of contract brewing. Pavlina, do you want to just flesh that out a little bit further and maybe talk about why it has been stigmatized in the past and, and, and what are the major concerns of craft brewers, artisan brewers in the brewing industry around contract brewing and in particular that second type of contract brewing that we talked about where there's no bricks and mortar, it's just a, a, a label and a marketing campaign and a distribution system but everything's brewed by third parties. So I think there are basically maybe two major things. Um, so the first one is the one that Sam explained, uh, the issue of provenance. It's um, really about the ethos or the philosophy or the, of the craft brewing or artisan industries that they have this hands-on approach, that they, they are uh, connected to the community and, and so on. So, so it really a little bit disrupts that, that view or that picture we have about our artisans and, and so on. So on one hand, there is this issue of provenance and, and our expectations, what we expect from, from artisan and craft industries. And oftentimes, uh, as you, Stefan, mentioned, many craft brewers are really just marketing brands, if we really consider the extreme. The other issue really goes towards almost also these legal issues because it's the issue of labeling. And this may this is maybe something that consumers or it's about consumers really being concerned about because oftentimes we we think uh, that consumers are just simply not aware that the beer is brewed somewhere else. But we <clears throat> what we've experienced in the past is that there have been legal cases where the where the brewery simply didn't disclose the location of where the beer has been has been brewed. So there are kind of two issues. One is the sort of cultural and the other is the, the legal one. Sam, 
I guess I want to flesh out even further why the the practice is a, is somewhat stigmatized within the industry. If we sort of put on the shoes of of, of a cynical craft brewer that's been doing it for years, that um, now in their same sort of small regional town or whatever it might be, another label pops up, but there's no bricks and mortar there. It's just brewed in in Western Sydney or something like yeah. that. You know, we've talked about yes, this is a craft and artisan hands on industry and things like that, and that's sort of running counter to to what that that type of practice and that type of industry is all about but what are some of the other concerns and and why is there this stigma yeah it's quite it's not a stable view so far that's emerged for us over time some people I was talking one of the guys we were talking to the other day from quite a prominent craft brewer he was saying oh look it's it's not a it's not an issue beer nerds care about it quote unquote but you know the average punter couldn't care less it's not a big deal um, forget about it. And then the same person a little while later said, was telling me that they hadn't been able to produce their uh, number one uh, selling beer because they'd made a decision about doing a seasonal brew um, that hadn't been as, as successful at selling uh, and therefore they'd run out of stock on their most popular pale ale. And uh, this, I said to this person, well, why didn't you guys just, you knew this was happening months ago, why didn't you go out to a third party and contract brew? And the guy says to me, oh, well, no, we couldn't possibly do that if people found out we were contract brewing out, you know, this number one selling pale ale, then we'd be in a world of uh, trouble. And I said, well, that's interesting because you previously months ago told me that it wasn't an issue and it was only a concern of beer nerds. And the same guy said, oh, when there's money at stake, um, maybe it is a bigger issue. So it's this issue of, you know, reputation and how you're presenting yourself to not only your customers, but broader stakeholders, right? So you've got investors, you've got employees, you've got local community, you've got distributors. So there's a wide variety of people whose views you, you're going to value. Um, and if they start seeing, believing that you're presenting yourself in an inauthentic way, um, that can yeah, have massive blowback, like in any field of life. So Pavlina was mentioning earlier around provenance, right? So Probably the most famous uh, case, which was then picked up by the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, was one about uh, a company called Byron Bay Brewing. And they were using both on their labelling um, and in their other marketing messages were essentially going out there and presenting the consumer with the view that they, this is, beer was made by a small brewery in Byron Bay. But it wasn't. It was made, you know, many, many, many kilometres away. Uh, so they got in trouble and had to then um, do a bit of a backflip on that one. There was recently, recently similar controversy when people found out that Stone and Wood, similar region, was uh, using a contractor uh, to brew their beers. So, yeah, it's this real thing around, you know, are you presenting yourself as authentically craft and artisanal? If you are, and then people find out that you're actually getting somebody else to make your beer for you, essentially. Yeah, that sets you up for a very difficult conversation with that wide variety of stakeholders. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Pavlina, tell me a little bit about what you think contract brewing is doing to the to the craft beer sort of marketplace or the beer marketplace in general. I mean, if you look at any bottle shop, um, you know, shelf now, it's just a world of, of, of different beers from all over the country, all over the world. You know, people can call this sort of saturation in the craft brewing space. What is contract brewing doing to this marketplace? Is it increasing this market saturation? Is perhaps a competitive advantage for contract brewers brewing at scale and things like that, making it harder for smaller artisans to compete for space on shelves and space on taps and at pubs and things like that? 
Yeah, really good question. Um, I definitely agree Edith, that it increases the competition. Um, the question is whether it's for good because uh, over over time, and and we've seen that our the brewers actually also told us that the quality of contract brewed beer increased. So there were some quality issues in the past, and that's why contract brewing was also seen uh, as a not pure practice. But what what is true is that contract brewed beer and their quality really improved over time. So it does increase uh, the saturation because, of course, you have these new players for whom it might be easier to enter the market. But on the other hand, what it does also, and this is um, maybe relevant also to COVID or also this, the kind of saturation for, from the big brands, that there, there are breweries that suddenly happen to have spare capacity because of the of the saturated market, because their own brand just can't make it or they have empty tanks, if we, if we call it that way. So in order to fool those tanks, they actually, they are happy that those contract brewers exist and they come to their side and, and kind of help them to fill the tanks and then be, be profitable. So there are sort of two parts of, of, of that where, where you have the market, where you have more actors and also increased competition, but that also drives better quality of the beer overall. Mm. That, and it also sort of helps the, the providers, uh, some of them, to kind of fill out that uh, space, which uh, can be caused by COVID, can be caused by the fact that now also large multinational companies are producing their own craft beer brands. So really the, the tap space, uh, it's getting limited. Mm, okay. Do you want to tell me, Pavlina, a little bit about what you think some of the good practices that that are observed in contract brewing are and how can it be done well in a, in a fashion that satisfies both the beer nerds that are heavily invested in it and a, a public who is growing in their understanding of beer but perhaps doesn't understand what contract brewing is or how it sort of affects the market? What we've done in our research, we really looked uh, more historically at how contract brewing developed uh, throughout the years. And what we observed that at the beginning, it was more about concealment, which was sometimes conscious, sometimes unconscious. And what, is me- what it means that the brewers often didn't disclose where the beer was produced, which over time, when the contract brewing started to get some tractions and and other breweries started to notice that, hey, that other guy has has it easier because he didn't have to invest into capital. He did, doesn't have to sweat in the brewery and so on. So these kind of issues got more traction in, in public media and so on. So then we also have in, in this kind of 2014 and so on, was the case of Byron Bay Brewing that Sam mentioned. And all these kind of legal cases started to come up. And that was the time when we started to observe a little bit different approach. So it was not not about just concealing it, maybe consciously, unconsciously, or really just doing nothing about uh, contract brewing uh, or managing it. Brewers started to actually admit that they are contract brewing, but it was often uh, rather in terms of using the words like partnership, collaboration, uh, collaborating 
brewing or this kind of camaraderie in the in the industry. So the actual act of contract brewing, paying for brewer skills was somehow packaged in into those uh, different programs. So that framing kind of took off in, in, in that later period. What we've seen now, and that's maybe some of uh, some would call it as a, as a successful model, is the incubator brewing sites. We've seen in the latest e- latest years kind of grow of different actors who have their brewing site. They do only contract brewing for for the clients. They usually don't have their own brands, or they kind of own other breweries, but that's only in few cases. And they kind of have that message of nurturing young brands or helping the small brewers to grow. So there is, again, that overarching message of helping the brewery, helping the small brewers. What brewers then get when they join this incubator brewing sites, they often get the whole package. So they come to the brewery, they often learn about brewing. There is some consulting also provided if, if necessary. And then they can brew their beer on the side. And also there is this kind of logistic support after that. Besides the logistics benefits, it's also the fact that you, you are part of the tribe or part of the group of small breweries that join uh, join this in- incubator brewing site. So so it's it's kind of development developing process. But overall, we can say we can tell that the concealment was uh, it's still happening, mm-hmm. but it's not a successful practice. And um, that kind of framing and trying to admit contract brewing uh, is uh, is the way to go. Mm, okay, Sam, um, it's just about time for us to start wrapping up now. Something that Pavlina just mentioned, of course, is that sort of concealment and the representation mm. of contract brewing. I don't see contract brewing going anywhere because there are so many different reasons as to why people might do it. You know, including mm. small companies just you know needing some extra space so they can increase their scale, which I don't think too many people have a problem with. Mm. Doing some research into this, a lot of the, uh, you know, the solution narrative is based around sort of transparency and clear labeling. Is this something that can kind of smooth smooth things out and and make it a more sort of normal part of the industry, um, this type of transparency and labeling? Or is there anything else that should be considered to make to to sort of destigmatize contract brewing and just to ensure that that things run smoothly for the perception from the public and also the perception of beer nerds in the industry great question um so you know i think that essentially it's gone from what we do in the shadows years ago so people's you know contract brewing is something that wasn't talked and asked about don't ask don't tell um and because it was viewed as being essentially illegitimate uh, in most quarters and then over time, we've seen this, as Pavlina was saying, we've seen this change, right? So people have gone from concealing, hiding, obscuring what they were doing to trying to educate um, their different stakeholders, including their consumers, about what they're doing and why they're doing it. So Garage Project's um, recent announcement on Facebook would be a great example of somebody who's taking a step forward and saying, hey, look, treating your stakeholders with respect, um, being straight up, up with them and telling them about the advantages um, that this enables you to secure. So we've gone from, you know, what we do in the shadows through to saying, well, hey, look, 
you know, what we can do by partnering with a contractor is we can make a much wider variety of beers because um, we've got the scale, gives us space to experiment, uh, enables us to um, secure a wider array of uh, distribution channels uh, and make more great beer. So I think that's the, that's the shift, right? And so you talk about, yeah, labeling I think is important, but there's a much broader education piece uh, that I think that the um, different elements of the industry need to get engaged with to yeah, make sure that people understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. Uh, and that's uh, something that we're seeing, yeah, a, a, a big change because, pe- you know, people don't understand, right? They don't understand the complexity involved of actually targeting that, you know, not even mass market, but, you know, larger than a neighborhood market, you know, everything down. One of the original things that stopped craft brewing taking off was packaging. So people, so Sierra Nevada, I'm sure many of your listeners might know of, a very mm. famous uh, craft brewery uh, in California. Uh, there's a great podcast on that uh, NPR in the in the uh, US put out you know history of how this company was built and one of the big things that was stopping them scaling up was access to packaging equipment. So the big brewers had tied up all the large scale pa- packaging equipment manufacturers. They'd only make uh, packaging equipment for massive orders. So for these guys, if they wanted to go past selling their product in kegs, they needed to have smaller scale capacity for smaller scale packaging runs. So they actually started working with. Um, you know, people who made packaging for uh, tomatoes and other sorts of agricultural goods in the region to make new packaging equipment for them. So it's almost this like mundane aspect of business success that when you're sitting back and cracking open a nice cold beer, you think, well, why do you need to work with a contractor? Yeah, but it's you know these mundane details of organisational life that are going to trip you up and prevent that if you don't actually have the knowledge and capital required to succeed in that market. Mm. Absolutely. Pavlina, it's time for us to wrap up, but there, is there anything else that you'd like to add in terms of how you see this moving forward and you know these rough edges being smoothed over by things like labelling policy or transparency? Um, I think I would add just the last thing that um, the, the major interesting part of our research is, is really to look at who cares about this. And is it really the consumers or really, is it really the other... Uh, peers in the in the brewing industry and and it seems like that that's one surprising thing is that the, the status of, of other breweries in in the industry is really important and and contract brewing can disrupt it so there is a lot of talking among craft brewers about like oh that guy's contract brewing that guy's contract brewing so so these things are kind of getting in uh, being in interesting for us to investigate even more that kind of uh, how does it influence the status uh, within the industry among the peers. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, it is a fascinating subject. And I think that, you know, with the explosion of craft beer that we've seen over the last five or 10 years, um, these sorts of things, and you mentioned it, Sam, educating the public um, and, and gaining an understanding of this is is sometimes a normal part of the process of a new artisan industry that's coming to prominence. So it will definitely be fascinating to, to see where it leads and to see how the public gets educated on what's happening with contract brewing. That is all we have time for. Sam and Pavlina, thank you so much for joining me today here on Think Business Futures. Thank you. Thanks, Stefan. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guests, Pavlina Yasovska and Sam McCauley. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. 
Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.